The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Skinny are helping you show how smart you are with the 1Q Quiz, an all-new, super-challenging and super-quick daily quiz built by The Spin-Off. Every Monday, Skinny are giving you the chance to prove you're smart with the Skinny Extra Credit question. Get it right, and you'll get the chance to score yourself some Skinny Extra mobile credit so you can text, call, or even video call your group chat and gloat about how big your brain is. T's and C's apply. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Look, you got to keep up with the changing face of technology. The, the fit, like we're, we're moving to remote. In a couple of weeks, we'll have enough content that we can just feed it into ChatGPT and do the podcast that way. I reckon we should change the name to WFH. Well, WFH or ChatGBL? Oh, yeah. Oh, that, I like nice, that. Nice. Love that. Tenakoto Katoa, this has gone by lunchtime on May the 24th of 2023. We are scattered around different parts of the motu today. Ben Thomas, you're in Wairoa. Yep. Would you like to give us a dispatch from Wairoa? Tell us the latest. How is everybody going? Just, what is the mood? Yeah, just just an update from the regions. Uh, for the for those for those city hall policy analysts in Wellington doing the disaster response, just if mm. just if they want any idea of what's happening out in the real New Zealand. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, why do it's it's interesting. This is the first time I've been back since the cyclone, and it's it's interesting you know coming i came down through um the motorway from topo uh you know to to napier and so i went past sort of the esk valley yeah. and it's actually, it's wild seeing just how much sort of devastation is still there you know as you go along the road there's sort of you know there's almost you know they look like almost sort of you know ancient ancient earthworks sort of ramparts you know outside mm. outside people's homes you can sort of see the ones who've had sort of more resource or more kind of maybe economic impetus to clean up their properties um but you know it's it's incredible seeing the sort of devastation that it wrought you know uh you know driving past and seeing basically a sort of cross section of a house you know almost like a kind of simpsons comedy sort of thing of you know where the front has come off the house and you just see the the rooms inside sort of thing. Um, Wider itself, uh, you know, you know, a lot of the houses still, are, uh, people haven't, have still not moved back into some sort of, you know, strange little vignettes, you know, um, I was talking to somebody who was walking down the, the, the path that leads all the way along the river, this, this very long riverside path. And she was walking along it and along it and along it, you know, and, it, and it's almost, it's like a trench, you know, the silt from the river is still piled high, you know, kind of, you know, probably about waist height or so, something. Um, and then there's this, 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 this trench cut for the, you know, the, the scenic concrete path. And then it just kind of ended. <laughs> it's sort of in this... Um, you know the, the the and so so you either have to go back you know like many hundreds of meters or or climb over the silt to sort of get out um mm. 
the d- d- down on the main street, uh, the riverside looks like a sort of archaeological dig where they've uncovered um, some old emperor's like uh, ancient picnic tables. Right. <laughs> like the, the, the Pompeii of yeah, New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. They're, just, they're just sort of like dug out in pits <laughs> at the same sort of level as yeah. the rest yeah. of the silt. Um, so yeah, look, still a lot of cleanup work to be done. Um, yeah, and, uh, and and just you know, because it's easy to sort of think, you know, you, you you kind of think about the immediate disaster response and then the money allocated sort of in the budget and announcements, and you know, you kind of you know, scrub your hands and sort of think, well, that's that taken care of. And, and you forget, you know, there's a, there's just a huge amount of material and physical work that still needs to be done uh, in this region. How are spirits? Do you have a sense of how spirits are? I mean, I, I know the mayor, what's the mayor's name? He's Craig, sort of been around a bit and he was getting pretty frustrated, I think, with some of the lack of action on silt especially. But is, is there, do you have a sense of what the spirit of the, the town is at the moment? Yeah, look, I mean, it's a pretty resilient town, as far as I, you know, as far as I can tell. Uh, think things are in terms of you know people's day to day lives and attitudes and getting on with it. it it's largely back to normal, but um, yeah, just just with this extra burden of work, um, you know, we we have seen you know reports that there you know, have been have been problems sort of getting money out the door. Um, I think there was a, there was a, some complaints about the Chamber of Commerce down in Hawke's Bay. Uh, but yeah, yeah, look, it's, you know, but part of it is just that, that typical problem that we have in New Zealand of capacity, you know, do, do you have enough people and enough plant and, you know, machinery, you know, to do all this work? Just as an aside, I came, I came up via the motorway, um, from Napier, which is now open, uh, from the Esk Valley and, incredible to see these bridges that have been sort of put up where, you know, there were, there were sort of whole, whole bridges were sort of ruined and kind of washed out and stuff, you know, and and these kind of treacherous sort of, you know, devil's elbow, which is this very treacherous sort of uh, kind of ravine. Um, And, and the, the, I wonder how it got that name. (laughs) Maybe it was being a treacherous ravine. And the the work that, um, yeah. and 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 the work that's been done sort of, you know, putting up either temporary bridges or the roadworks, you know, you yeah. sort of, you know, really, really, really makes you you marvel about this amazing creature called man, doesn't it? Uh, speaking of amazing creatures called man, Anaboli Matha, where are you today? You're also uh, virtually appearing on the podcast. Are you somewhere in the in the inner suburbs of Auckland? I'm just trying to like really connect Mata o te whenua, pa harakeke mm. vibes. Just to really feel how, you know, Maori on the ground. So I've come to Ponsonby, and I'm <laughs> I'm in the I'm in the stuff building on the corner of Ponsonby and Williamson Ave, and in the deli section, um, there's a lot of people, you know, discussing the budget and. And that stuff's so been really Just informative and educational. The yeah. Mm. At, at, mm. at the at the um, at the the Ponsonby countdown. Um, mm-hmm. What what what's been the uh, what's been the chatter about the uh, five dollar prescription waiver uh, next to the magazine aisle and the uh, drug dispensary? Yeah. So long as people can get their like um, 
hormone replacement therapy for cheaper so they've got more money to spend on on Prosecco. They're pretty stoked. Yeah. The lip the lip fill co-payment mm. is a, a big a big talking point. I've heard a couple of people ask if it extends to prescriptions from the Casey Clinic. Um, <laughs> but haven't been able to confirm that yet. I should say a big thank you to members, also to Tiahe Butler, who is here making us all sound plausible. Uh, who's where's that dog barking? Is that oh, is that on yours? Yeah, that's ben? that's, I quite, that's more, I quite that, like it. That's Heartland, New Zealand. Yeah, that's so provincial. I love it. It does sound a bit like I thought I has chucked in a little bit of our dog back just to make it really, Mm. (laughs) really sound authentic. Hey, let's talk about the budget. Um, Annabelle, it was built in advance as the no frills budget. National called it the blowout budget. It was the the challenge for Robertson was to thread that needle facing cost of living crisis, infrastructure challenges after the cyclone that we've just talked about, and to avoid fueling inflation, also chuck a little, just a teeny little bit of sugar there for election year. What was your assessment of it all? Yeah, they had to, it was quite a precarious balancing act, eh? Like usually um, at this time in the election cycle, there'd be a massive lolly scramble of a budget, but with inflation they weren't able to do that. But I feel like there was enough in there for everyone that they could keep people happy and at the same time it was a bit of a a small target budget, like there wasn't a lot that National could really climb into and probably the most, the biggest, the, the thing that that would have been the most open for criticism, National kind of ignored and went after the the $5 prescription fee instead, which sort of backfired quite badly on them. So, I mean, I know in Te Ao Māori it's been, um, it's been well received. Iwi Leaders uh, Forum seemed to like it. I attended a, a hui at um, Wātea, um, but I last or earlier this week actually with the Maori ministers discussing um, the budget gains and uh, yeah again very well received out there. Yeah, um, you know obviously the the Matatini news has been um, very well received. I saw Te Party Maori were sort of um, claiming credit for that as well. Um, I think there's some areas where. In a different uh, economic environment, would probably quite strong, more strongly criticised by the left, like the twenty hours um, ECE uh, that doesn't go far enough in the eyes of people who want to see the the state fully fund early childhood education. But I think they've done a, a pretty a pretty good job g- given where we're at um, economically. Ben Thomas. Yeah, a lot of interesting sort of rhetorical slight going on uh, with the budget. You know, we saw National calling it the blowout budget, which probably had a bit of an air of sort of pre-scripting to it. And it, it's not wrong, right? It, it, it predicts, you know, heavy deficits, you know, pretty significant deficits for the next couple of years. 
Um, it does massively increase spending. A number of commentators have said, you know, since COVID, there's been a real step change. The size of the state, the sort of baseline size of the state has gone from about 28% of GDP to about 32%. Um, you know, that, that's those are significant numbers. But I think Labour would be quite happy that it's been perceived as a no-frills, a home-brand budget, a careful, a conservative budget, because the thing is they actually spent a lot more than they said they would be spending um, because there were no sort of huge back-pocket kind of announcements. I think it has sort of slipped past the public consciousness just, you know, how much extra spending there is. You know, in the old mm. days, $600 million for free prescriptions and $1.2 million uh, billion dollars uh, for expanding early childhood education would not be seen as sort of you know very modest kind of uh, you know bits and pieces or rats and mice you know these are big spending initiatives um, and and maybe it's a, it's a consequence of how much COVID has sort of warped the electorate's expectations about big numbers um, but I think in part it's just very careful management uh, politically and you know uh, PR wise by the government to sort of talk about how they're being very moderate. Well, every year that envelope of spending gets more and more and more. Um, it sort of reminds me of, you know, every, every payday sort of going like, well, that's okay because I, I mean, I am spending beyond my means, but I can pay it back out of my next pay. And then the next pay you're like, well, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll just roll it over and maybe like add another $50 to the overdraft. And it, it, and, and incrementally, you know, the, the amount of spending has, is actually really blown out. So, so National wasn't wrong with its attack line, but Labour have been so good at making it look like they're just sort of cautiously sort of shuffling forward. Expectation management was effective, that's true. But then it's also fair to say, isn't it, that a Labour Party in an election year would normally be hoping to provide some, some, you know, some some rather chunkier rabbits than those ones that it did provide. It said they were very targeted, and they're, you know, they're, for example, were it not for the cyclone and circumstances, it wouldn't be crazy to imagine they did would, would try something like a tax-free threshold. Surely, yeah, yeah, maybe uh, the the other thing to think about though is that people do often price in budget announcements um, if you announce something at the budget uh, a lot of the time, you know, people, especially if it's spending prior to the election, um, sure, you might get some goodwill from the public, but then the public might also think, well, what else have you got coming into the election? I think that's what the government is looking at. So they've given themselves, you know, a lot of some big pots to sort of make big election promises. You know, if you look at the, um, the Climate Resilience Fund, $6 billion, two modest sort of projects being funded out of it currently, but that's not a, re that's not a real fund, right? It's it's not, it doesn't have a, a you know, it as far as I can tell, it doesn't have sort of dedicated officials assessing applications or anything like that. It's just a very responsible sounding and very focused group sort of name, Climate Resilience, that is just $6 billion set aside for the government to spend however mm. it likes, which I would say would be, you know, local projects that will win it sort of favour. Um, sure, and some, some, of the COVID, some of the COVID pot ended up having a little bit of mission a creep. A vast What did you think, Ben, about the, um, Annabelle touched on the national response to the prescription point, which did seem to be 
not calibrated as well as they might have liked. Mm. You know, it was almost as if Labor said, here's an opportunity for you to say that you would actually like people to pay $5 for their prescriptions. And National said, all right, we'll say that. That and the, I mean, the the initial response, I think, I mean, I, 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 I found a lot of it uh, very cut and paste, but that can sort of be forgiven, can't it, in the House, given they have hardly any time to cobble together a response, let alone go through the minutiae of the, of the budget and the Treasury projections. But what did you make of the response as a whole, Ben? The, yeah, the opposition gets a very truncated sort of lock-up. I think they get about... They might an get, hour? I think, I think they get either yeah. an hour or two hours, yeah. but they're very little time, you know, to go through the, actual, the you know, the, the budget. Um, and, and presumably don't get walked through it. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, from, that's uh, from, right. Uh, well, yeah. I, I think they have officials that sort officials, of answer, but, but yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. don't have the government sort of telling you what the narrative will be yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. is how we are selling it, you know. Yeah. You just kind of get the books dumped on you, you know. Yeah, yeah look, a little flat-footed on the prescription thing. Um I, you know, the, the budget day is the government's day. It's it's their day for sort of, you know, selling their vision. Um, the opposition usually doesn't get much airtime. Um, yeah, I, you know, they, they could have been a bit more elegant. There, there, is a, there is a little bit of a, I think, a gap between things, you know, Christopher Luxon, you get the idea that, certain things are obvious to him that he will then assume are obvious to everyone else. And he doesn't quite make the, the, the leap of sort of bridging, you know, his, his line, which will usually be pretty sensible, you know, or at least coherent with mm. his, his understanding of the issue mm. to, you know, get that across. We saw that today with um, the, uh, uh, the CTU came out with, uh, you know, said that um, there was a blowout in Nationals' tax policy, and what that meant was that uh, that because the policy being the shifting of the the, the, tax the marginal brackets, rates, yeah, yeah, which National had previously costed about six point six billion dollars over four or five years. Um, the CTU said, well, look, in the budget, you know, one of the things that comes out with the budget is new Treasury forecasts. Those forecast that wages would increase. That means that tax collection increases because more, you know, people move into higher brackets and start paying a higher percentage of their income at a higher tax rate. So the government collects that as tax. So if you're going to put a tax break on that, you're actually, you know, that will cost you, quote unquote, 1.5 billion more dollars. Mm. And that's true as far as the maths is concerned. Um, but that was sort of sold, you know, as ah, oh, national, you know, it's another accounting error. They've they've you know messed up, and and Luxon, you know, I heard him on Morning Report today, and he said, yeah, well, that's true. Of course, that's true. They've, but, to be but, fair to them, they've they've made that point themselves that that, mm, that yeah. those numbers will need to be. It's question of that, question is when they no, come out. No, with those no, numbers, that's right. It? But but what I mean is Luxon, you know, would be on RNZ, and you know, he was with Guy and Espiner, very good interviewer. Yeah, yeah. But it, it wasn't clear to me that Guy and Espiner was actually on top of what the CTU's claim meant. He seemed to think that there had been some sort of error or miscalculation, and and Luxon didn't explain it. He just said, "Oh, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, of course that's true." I I, I sometimes think he could afford to be a bit more. Technical and boring. Yeah, that's right. You know, because I don't. I, I think he probably does know his way through a P and L. I'm not. I mean, I'm not sure because I've never. You know, a little bit of kind of 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 boring. I've been through the spreadsheet, and this is what you know. The, j just sort of speaking like someone who understands how to work their way through some accounts. You know, like I think people might respond to this in this 
you know, bread and butter time. Well, yeah, certainly his biggest selling point is that he's a business guy. You know, people used to say this about John Key, who was a currency trader, right? Not an actual businessman. And, Mm. and... People would say he's a business guy. You know, I want somebody with business business experience running the country during a, a recession, or um, and that, you know that's a strong selling point for Lux, and particularly if things don't start getting you know better in terms of the general environment, which you know there's well we'll see. You know, touch wood for the um, OCR announcement today, which will probably have come out by the time this podcast does. But you know, look the. Yeah, I, I just think there just seems to be something a little bit missing uh, whereby, yeah, they're, they're not sort of, they're not kind of, they're not kind of taking the public with them on these sort of little traps. And I think they have to because, you know, God God bless our media, but they're not necessarily good at explaining these things in 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 their products themselves. If you just well, look, if you just looked at the disagree, well, I agree look, to disagree. Well, if you, if you looked at the headline of that RNZ, you know, the RNZ story, which was you know spoke to the CTU press release, it really did suggest that there was some kind of error in what National had proposed, as opposed right. to it's been updated. People are, because yeah, new we figures. love a we love a we love a fiscal hole. There's That's nothing right. like a fiscal yeah, hole. It's like yeah. let's go fiscal hole hunting. What do you think, Annabelle, the, the the leader of the opposition in his speech said addicted to spending or a variation on that 14 times. Is that a line that you think is going to bear fruit for the opposition? Now the budget's out of the way, there will be more of an opportunity to have a level playing field to some degree running into the October election. Is that a line that is going to hit home with I think probably the only person it's going to bear fruit for in terms of opposition is ACT. And I think Luxon's handling of the budget announcement is another glaring example of his inexperience and his inability to think on his feet and play a smart political game. Um, You know, when you're literally leading the headlines the day after budget as the leader of the opposition with a headline like National Vows to Reinstate the $5 Prescription, um, you are not winning. So I think that actually the last week has been quite politically damaging for Luxon. I yeah I mean I was I was watching a speech and uh, you know by that point in the day you are going a little bit doolally it's true but I I sort of felt as though maybe a better theme to tie it all together for national is that is that Labour has lost control you know it just isn't as a as a as a as a narrative that they need to build in response um, try, tying together all the shortcomings around delivery around uh, spending around discipline around. All of those things, but what? 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 what, uh, There is a new. So, I mean, two things about that. The first thing is everybody, I think, considered that Labor had really snookered National in the last budget in twenty twenty two. They had brought out their cost of living payment. Um, You know, there was a sort of feeling that the Wiley Grant Robertson had gotten the better of Christopher Luxon. You mean the immediate response? The immediate response, the day or the Uh week afterwards. Uh And, you know, we kind of saw how that panned out, right, as the cost of living payments sort of spread around the world like the novel coronavirus popping up in exotic locations, you know, for, you know, long long dead French barristers' estates received it and, you know, uh, Tibetan monks were bequeathed cost of living payments and stuff, you know. (laughs) Kiwis and Florida zoos, the whole thing. (laughs) 
and so you know, like you know, again, you know, you don't want to be like sort of like uh, what is it, um, Mao talking about the French Revolution? You know, it's too soon to tell, but um, you know, you wouldn't sort of immediately write off the opposition because of last sure. week's budget. But but the other thing is, in terms of uh, the slogans. I did notice a new one uh, that came out last last week. I saw it on a meme, you know, a gif or, you know, what is it? Mm. The young, the picture, the AI, the AI, Skynet, droids. Net GPT. And it said, um, you know, let's get the country back on track. And they've just unveiled they saw yeah, yeah, on yeah, line yeah, the yeah, back so, on so, track yeah, to yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and look, that's that's actually the most it's powerful the, language they can yeah. use because as as Stephen Mills from Talbot Mills will will tell listeners of RNZ, uh, you know, at any opportunity one of the most important indicators in terms of polling, he says the most important in terms of changing a government is, mm. is the country on the right track or the wrong track? And those wrong track numbers on every public poll that we've seen have been negative for, you know, a, a long time now. And so, you know, forget about Chris versus Chris. They want to keep it on, you know, reminding people, you think the country's yeah. on the wrong track and, a, and we and can a, change and a, that. A, a classic and effective Tory line, yeah, you know, back on track without, without sort of resorting to make New Zealand great again, it has it has connotations of returning to a previous idol that may or may not have existed. Uh, well, no, I mean, I think, you know, it, it's not really make America great again. It's a sort of, you know, it's like fixing Auckland, you know, another classic line. Oh, that was a great line, another, fix another Auckland. Another genius. That, who was, oh, that was our, <laughs> a rhetorical oh, that was our talismanic <laughs> mayor, Wayne Brown. Yeah. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Okay, a few other things to rattle through. Let's talk quickly about the New Zealand steel deal that was announced on the weekend. Uh, Annabelle, uh, 140 million bucks to a foreign-owned company that banked about a $3 billion profit last year. On the surface, that seems crazy. Is it crazy or is it does it make sense? I mean, it is crazy and it does make sense. Um, mm. Every... 
government um, throws a bone to to business. You know, usually it's farmers, and this time around it just happens to be the steel mill, but it is going to have a massive impact. It's also a huge win for the Greens. I listened to James Shaw interview this week on, on RNZ. The, the, the argument for it is compelling. And can mm. I say, as a taxpayer, I think most people would probably prefer that their tax money is being spent on this sort of subsidy than, say, funding um, the America's Cup, which then goes in races in Saudi Arabia. What, what I did find interesting, though, you would have thought that this is quite low-hanging fruit for the for the National Party and, and something that, you know, Luxon could have really spoke about with enormous authority. And so, again, just coming back to the $5 prescription issue, I, I'm not sure why they didn't focus their attack line more on this than than this than the um, prescription subsidy. It's a it's an interesting one, isn't it, Ben? Because it gets so complicated in terms of the economics of it. Because we've got the submission trading scheme uh, where the carbon price moves around, and when you look at it on the basis of the emission cut, eight hundred thousand tons at sixteen dollars twenty a ton is the mm. way that the that the numbers come down, and that seems like money very well spent versus fifty five dollars or something for a for a, for a, for, a, for a ton. Um, but at the same time, the, the the risk is you provide a incentive to other polluting companies to just hang on and wait mm. for the money to come from the ETS. The New Zealand still weren't even paying into the ETS because they basically had the government, you know, over one. Where, where do you where do you where do you sit on that? Is the is the system as a whole fit for purpose? Yeah, so if you're a market purist, you the, and this is where the the emissions trading scheme came in. It was like let's harness the power of the market to bring down emissions. We will create a market for carbon, since you know we, we will say there's only a certain amount of carbon you're allowed to emit. So we create a market for it. Um, yep. That means that the the, the the permission to use a ton of carbon will find its way to the highest value use you know with some, a sinking sinking lid on the number yeah, of yeah. Units. so as, yeah. as 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 if if you want to use carbon you your motor, you're incentivized to find a profitable high value use for it not just something that's marginally profitable and so you know you, you actually can't afford to emit the carbon to you know make that return um, I mean, in theory, it, it works. There is a bit of a wrinkle, you know. It was sort of thought that you know, part part of the attraction of it was that you'd have all these sort of securitizations and derivatives and sophisticated financial instruments, which had been so successful in kind of making everybody rich in the world market. Um, and that was the basis on which the ETS was campaigned on by National and Labor in two thousand and eight, just as the global economy was collapsing because of collateralized debt obligations and other sophisticated. Financial instruments, this <laughs> <laughs> market. But you know that's the basis. You know it makes sense in a theoretical way. But here's how it makes sense. It makes sense by making low value, or you know, it makes sense by putting a cost on something that didn't used to have a cost, and it was always sold as 
we'll all account our ways into a green economy and being carbon billionaires. Um, and, and there would be no real work because the, mar- the magic of the market would do it. But of course, the magic of the market achieves things in aggregate by forcing business, you know, people out of business and creative destruction and, mm. you know, and adaptation and pivoting. And you've got to have an effective price of carbon to actually drive that. And the thing is, politically, nobody ever wants carbon to be expensive enough that they can be held accountable for that, you know, as a government, you know, as, as soon as somebody's suffering because of the carbon price, they will go to the media and they'll say, you know, there's, there's government regulations, you know, screwing us. And, 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 you know, even before the ETS was in effect, we saw all of these carve outs and, you know, and, and, and there are good reasons for some of them, you know. The, yeah, well, there's good reasons for this one because otherwise we'd get out all our steel from China where the, the, the right. aggregate pollution would be greater. So the aggregate pollution would be greater. You want security of supply. You know, that became much more important to us during COVID. Mm. Um, you know, Marsden Point, you know, that's a great example of, of, of something, you know, that we lost the mm. ability to do ourselves. And it was right as I bought a soda stream machine and had a stranded <laughs> asset because there was no God. domestic carbon dioxide supply. Yes. So I, yeah. I have seen I have seen a future, you know, where we yeah. we are we, we lack supply independence. How is your um, air fryer, by the way? We haven't um, that hasn't come up much. The the air fryer, that's still going yeah. strong. That's okay. good. I've got other appliances now. Sorry, Bells, you had a, you had a question. Oh, I was going to say, and um, and it allows for the recycling of steel, like old cars and all of that stuff as well. Which is important yes. instead of relying solely on on um, iron ore. Yeah, and and look, you know the and I look. I should say as a disclaimer, I've I've got uh, you know clients who are in the same sort of sector of being sort of um, well, well, e- well. E- you know, e- e- expo- you know, ex- export exposed industries that are high carbon emitters and who can't easily decarbonize, just like New Zealand steel. Um, and, and look, you know. Who knows? You know, if the, if the, you know, there are there are arguments for it, right? There's arguments for New Zealand steel, um, and look, I mean, there are job arguments on for for one, which are very real ones, but also the big, the big, the, the sort of big bazooka is a one percent cut in emissions, which you know you have to sell an awful lot of Nissan Leafs to kind of get up to that mm. level, and and you know that's. It's it's non that part of it is real. There are so many bits of the markets moving around that kind of numb my brain. Mm. But at least you can see there's something that, that that's feels right. real. At, at, at some point, you have to reduce the amount of carbon you're emitting, right? Mm. You know, like the accounting only gets you so far. The planting forests, planting forests is a very good way of reducing emissions in the short term. But eventually, you will run out of mm. land, and you'll mm. all be, you know. <laughs> Well, the other thing too is that actually this is another really interesting argument that while planting pines and that it might reduce carbon at the moment, if we find ourselves in a heat wave and New Zealand catches on fire like um, Australia has, then actually we become, our, our carbon forests become carbon emitters. So it's not a good long term strategy anyway. Just briefly, Chris Hipkins has been on a few sort of quick whistle-stop trips since he became Prime Minister, and this one was, I think, about 24 hours in Port Moresby, Annabelle. It was originally going to be 
the the Joe show. Biden was going to be there. Um, in the end, he did manage to meet the Indian Prime Minister Modi. He met Blinken, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of of State, and uh, he met Marape, the, the the PNG Prime Minister. Was it a, was it a worthwhile trip? Do you have any uh, strong views on that? At one point, he did seem to get fated uh, like a like royalty, which must have been an interesting experience for him. Uh, I always think it's it's worth our political leadership investing time in its um, relationships with the, the rest of the Pacific. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's time well spent, um, especially as, you know, tension between China and the US grows in our part of the world. And unfortunately, we're seeing you know, Polynesians, Melanesians and Micronesians squeezed between these um, superpowers. Ben Thomas? Yeah, look, you know, this is this is just sort of part of the developing picture um, in, in, in the broader Asia-Pacific um, where we do seem to be sort of, you know, trending more and more towards sort of an alignment with uh, our, our traditional allies. Um, uh yeah, and you know these these are important things for him to do. Um, I, I mean, again, I'd reiterate my sort of yeah the sort of st- the sort of stark shock of seeing you know going from Jacinda Ardern, who really was you know a superstar on the world stage, um, to our fancy little gent prime minister who gets presented with a little treats of Coke Zero and sausage rolls wherever. No, he there goes. were those there were those scenes where he was being cheered. There were those scenes. Oh. It's all going. It's all going. It's all on. And then what's more, he had. To to fly back at three o'clock in the morning, go and do a media round and do an hour of talk back with Kerry Woodham. Oh, so, you know, <laughs> honestly, who'd, who'd be a prime minister? Um, hey, from uh, geopolitics is fine, but much more important, compelling, is what's been going on in Gore, which I don't think we've dealt with before. I don't know if uh, we've properly served our listeners in Gore by by um, solving what's going on down there. Has, has either of you been glued to the to the drama of Gore. No, since the beginning. Ben Bell, the the, the youngest mayor ever, uh, who came sort of locked horns with the CEO, Steve... Perry. Perry, Stephen Perry, and uh, came to a head in a, in, a, in a council, and it was a bit of an anticlimax because there was meant to be a vote of confidence that didn't happen. What's your read on it then, Ben? What's your uh, universal theory of the local politics of gore. Ah, look, it's 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 Southern Game of Thrones, right? The um, I, I actually got sort of you know. Can we... I stop you there? I think it's not Game of Thrones. I'm thinking more like an icy, moody, Scandi-inspired political drama called Gorgon. Oh, oh nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's me. I'm like, that's I all I have. That. Carry on. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> you know, when, when the when the first sort of rumblings came out, and there were talks that you know the the I think first the chief executive was on stress leave, then the mayor was on stress leave, and then the councillors yeah. voted out the deputy mayor, and they refused to pay for Ben Bell's retreat, team building retreat, whatever yeah. whatever sort of zoomer his nonsense EA, he wanted. His EAs they coming were, up to Wellington with him was that that's was right. Scrapped. Vetoed that and. Yeah. And, and somebody DM'd and said, you know, this has much l- further back roots. You know, Ben Bell's mother, you know, was, was mm-hmm. a former Gore District Council employee and she was in a long-running dispute with the chief executive um, and with, NDA. And, yeah. and with and uh, Tracy Hicks, the former mayor. 
and, and someone live is a flatmate with someone else who lives no, beside someone else who and, and that made once no, but that really cleared the yard. my interest because oh. I, I sort of thought, well, that's very intriguing, that's very exciting. But then I discovered that the mayor, the, the the mother had been an employee sort of I think about a year and a half ago. And I was like, that's a much it would have been better if it was like twenty-three years ago. And then oh, she had it like, go deep enough. And she had she had raised this child since birth oh, as her angel of vengeance <laughs> against <laughs> the Gore District Council. Like just you know, like that movie Salt with Angelina Jolie, you know, like trained <laughs> trained in an underground camp to sort of like um, but look, you know, it, it does it just does seem like one of those things where, you know, uh, the chief executive probably had a pretty comfy little thing going on for a long time where he's sort of running his fiefdom. It, uh, I think Andrea Vaughan, uh, or no, it was um, Neil Holden, I think, maybe the uh, New Plymouth mayor, said, you know, this is an issue. Um, we, we do need to sort of think about the, the you know, where do the council organisation fit in versus, you know, the governing body of these things, which is what we think of as the council, the people that we vote, the people that 30% of us vote in every three years. And and most of the power in these places is actually genuine, uh, generally, especially if you've got a new mayor and a long-serving chief executive, often the chief executive will just be running the whole thing. Certainly the case of somewhere like, you know, historically, certainly the place, case of somewhere like Auckland Council. Yeah. And, that, and that's why... And Wellington, where, and you know, Wellington. I mean, those people you touch on, Andrew, you, know, the, you, you have a... You have perceptions of sort of administrative capture, really, and people are like, "Well, we know, we understand this better than you guys," and they probably do. Of you know, course, yeah. you, you, you guys just sort of happen to be one of the three or four randoms that accidentally got yourself elected onto the council or whatever. But still, there is Annabelle, the kind of the the elected is the important bit, right? Mm, mm, that's right. Oh, I read a really interesting article the other day, which said that the average age for a, a regional or local body councillor in New Zealand is 65, but mm. the median age of our population is 38. And I, I, I think what's happening in Gore kind of speaks to a wider problem that we have in local government, which I guess to put it in the most simplest of terms is um, boomers. <laughs> <laughs> There's just way too many boomers. And and she's not the only bell. He's not the only bell that's having problems. I read an article about Bridget Bell, who's a young wahine Māori in the mm. Manawatu, who's been experiencing racism, ageism and sexism within her council. And... I just think it's time that we round up the boomers and pop them into the into the home for the bewildered. Round up the boomers and and stand up for the bells. <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah. Bells of the world unite. You're yeah. a bell, 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 yeah. bell, almost a bell. You know, it's um, yeah, okay. Um, but the, the the other thing, one one thing that I did learn from Stephen Perry from watching reading the newsroom story and watching the. Uh, uh, Kristen Hall's amazing story on Sunday on TV mm. and said about it. Mm. Um, anytime anyone criticizes from me from now, my only reply is going to come in word cloud form. <laughs> 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 it is the, uh, yeah, the whole thing. Be like, dotted around some like credible, believable, <laughs> hardworking, capable. And then in the middle, like fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Loose words, like, and that were kind of, it seems a little bit 
you know, a little a little bit disingenuous. Uh, yeah, you know, kind of smaller like, words. You're squinting. You're like, what's that? Like four point font? Like stalked me to my London home. <laughs> Anyway, all very fine people, um, including boomers. If you listen to this and you're a boomer, we apologise for all that appalling slander. We love you dearly, and um, please don't cancel your spin-off memberships. We will return very soon uh, with another podcast about politics. Anything else to add, anyone? I feel so distant from you when you're not in the studio. I feel empty. I feel sad. It's very touching. I'll, I'll, I'll still be on the road when the podcast comes out, so I can listen to it and give you guys quality assurance. I should, I should be should be in, like, Rotorua by then or something. Can I send you the edit, Ben, so you can manually get rid of all of the dogs barking? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> mad that the world burning is not in our like top three concerns you thought bad news was done but i'm back with more and alice sneddon's bad news saves the world i finally address the climate crisis and explore why no one cares watch it on the spinoff.co.nz i can see okay. the anxiety <laughs> starting to emit from you kia ora e te iwi, te ai he butler here podcast manager at the spinoff if you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.